Howdy. My name's Tim, and welcome to the Great Walton Church. It's good to have you with us. And this is really loud. So, and, uh, okay, there we go. Thanks. Hey, guys, it's great to be together this morning, and I'm glad you could be here with us. I appreciate all the prayers. Uh, I, you know, I was sick of a dog last time you saw me. Everybody said I looked like an old man. I felt like an old man. And I uh, went, went to Cancun, enjoyed the, the beach there, come back two days later, sick of a dog. And, uh, but I appreciate it. Uh, feel much better now. Much, much better. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, again, it's good to be together here. If this is your first time here, uh, we're so excited that you would choose to be with us this morning. You know, we, we believe that that your problems meet God's power here at Greater Alton. And we hope that that's what you'll experience as you, as you come here and as you hear the Word of God and as you get to know us. You're going to find this as a, well, it's a regular old church that has a very loud sound system right now. I don't know what the... Is it loud for you? Okay. Well, somebody needs to turn it down a little bit because I'm going to get loud. Okay. Anybody there? Hello? Hello? Anybody with a iPad? Who's, who's working the iPad? Oh, well, can you get it down a little bit? Do you need some help? Yeah, somebody help that man. Huh? The monitors are loud. I just want to make sure that it's not too... It's driving me crazy. Okay. We'll figure it out here in a second. Well, it's good to have you. There we go. That's a little better. It's good to have you again with us. Uh, we're just a regular bunch of people, guys, a regular church. Uh, we're not that flashy. Oh, yeah, we got some slick PowerPoint and stuff. You know, we stole that from the Internet, that picture. So, you know, we're good thieves. How's that? So if you're a thief, hey, you fit right in. <laughs> so, no, it's good to be together this morning, and I and, uh, hope, again, you're blessed by being with us today. Uh, being a first-time guest, we're going to offer you a CD of today's lesson, a free one. Or if you'd like to try a, a, maybe another CD of, a, of one of the other uh, lessons in the book of Acts, uh, you're free to, to get one of those as well. And you can get those at the Welcome Center. Just say, hey, I'm a first-time guest. Tim says I get a free, uh, a free uh, lesson. Also, you're going to know in your bulletin we have a set of notes, uh, and we kind of follow along. I like, uh, I like marking up my Bible. I know some preachers don't care for that. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to mark up your Bible, I understand. We've given you verses. We follow along with our notes. We like to circle words, underline words, and we like to fill in blanks. And so if you'd like to follow along, those notes are there for you, as well as a communication card. If you're, re- if you're reaching a decision today, if something has touched you and you want to make a decision about something, or you'd like somebody to study the Bible with you, or you'd like to know more about this church, or maybe, maybe you're somebody that uh, just needs some prayer, uh, you've got some things going on. That little card there can do wonders because those cards are sorted and given to our prayer team, and those people pray uh, to God and talk to God about what's on those uh, your prayer requests, and they do that all week long, every day, uh, so you know that God is you got some people praying for you. Um, you're probably noticing this light's on, and you're saying, what's that parking light doing on in the building? Shouldn't that be out the parking lot? And yes, I agree with you. We need to get these lights out there. It's costing us $3,600 to get these lights out here in the parking lot. And today, this will be the last time we'll see this light here up on stage by light. And so what we're going to be doing is we're gonna, they're going to start putting these lights out in the parking lot. And like I said before, it's going to cost us $3,600 to get this done. 
And many of you have been generous and you've helped out. We're a little, almost at $2,000. We need another $1,600, guys, to uh, complete this project. And, and by faith, we're doing this. And we ask if you'd like to help out, whatever you can do to help out above your regular contribution, please do make that, make that note on your check or in some way with your cash to say it goes for the lights. They would appreciate it. We would appreciate it. It's going to be nice to have lights on our parking lot, huh? I mean, nice, yeah. <coughs> yeah, cool. That's cool. Let's see. Um, also, we had uh, Jay and Lynn Jones here uh, yesterday, and they did a straight talk seminar. And those of you that were here, did you enjoy it? Wonderful. Uh, I, I, I really enjoy listening to Lynn, to Lynn. I'm not saying I don't like Jerry. I just like listening to Lynn. And uh, they're worth buying, uh, these CDs. They're available to you out in the foyer at the Welcome Center if you'd like to buy a set if you didn't make it jam-packed with some very helpful material. If you're interested in helping people, this particular seminar will help you do that, okay? And those are on sale at the Welcome Center. I have a card here from from Karen Matthews, and uh, I'd like to read it to you. It's a thank you card uh, that uh, she wants to express to the church that's helped out with Vernon. And it says, says, thank you all for your visits, thoughts, calls, uh, help, and prayers while Vernon was sick. He loved this church family, and everyone had a very special place in his heart. And thank you for all the hard work, time, and effort that went into making Vern's funeral such a wonderful celebration of his life. For the hospitality room, for those who set up, served, and provided, and cleaned up, a heartfelt hug, and thank you. I love you all. And like I say, our heart goes out to Karen. She's here this morning, and, uh, and uh, you know... Um, Vernon was a very special person here at this church, a very special friend of mine. And uh, I've got to do two funerals this year, one for my mother-in-law and for Vernon, and both I was honored to do. And I, I don't want you to think that this sounds weird, but I enjoyed doing those funerals because the people, these two people who passed away were Christians. And it's such a celebration and such a joy. You know, the Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Did you know it says that? And, you know, I, I, every once in a while, you know, I get to experience that. There's something special about celebrating somebody's life. And Vernon was, like I say, very special. And, you know, he's on a trip right now. Uh, I'm not with him right now, but he promised me that he would find out all the high spots in heaven. So when I get there, he's going to show me all those places, and I can't wait, okay? I really can't wait. Um, okay, we're in the book of Acts. And uh, we'd like you to, if you if you got your notes, you'd like to pull them out. That'd be great. We've been in the book of Acts for quite a while now. And and um, there we go. Okay, well, we're having trouble with our PowerPoint, too. Boy, the gremlins are here this morning. <laughs> but uh, we're, in the, we're in the book of Acts, and we've been looking at, uh, some people say, well, the book of Acts is about uh, the, the acts of the apostles, or the acts of people. And if you check your Bible and you read the book of Acts, not all the apostles are talked about. So it's not just about the actions of the apostles, and it's not just about the actions of some faithful people. The book of Acts was written by a fellow named Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke to a fellow by the name of Theophilus. He was a new Christian. And he was telling Theophilus, look, in the book of Luke, I'm writing this to you so you know everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And then when he began to write the book of Acts, it was like a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And in the, in the book of Acts, he continues to write Theophilus and to tell him, hey, 
This is what Jesus continued to do and continued to work on the planet after he physically left. Now, it's interesting to me, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie. you ever seen a movie where it just abruptly ends? And you kind of go, what? That's it? And you're kind of like, I feel like I've been ripped off or something. They leave you with a cliffhanger. I don't know how many movies. Oh, there's one movie in particular that ended three times for me. It was the movie Pearl Harbor. And I said, man, this should have ended an hour ago. You know, or, or some of the Lord of the Rings. It's like, okay, we get it. You know, The sport guy can really handle that axe. Okay. End the movie. Okay. But there's some movies, they just abruptly end. And you ask yourself, that's it? What's that all about? I was watching a movie like this recently. And I'm going, oh, they leave you thinking. And the book of Acts doesn't have a real nice, quiet, or neat ending. It just kind of abruptly ends. And I believe it's on purpose. I believe God and Luke did that on purpose. They did that because what was going on, the works of God, what God was doing in his kingdom, didn't end in chapter 28, but it continued on, and it continues to this day by his followers. You, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, and you're a disciple, you're a part of the book of Acts. And that's what I love about this. So we can learn so many things from the book of Acts, and, and we can glean some things from these people to continue the work that, that Jesus is teaching and doing on this planet, to continue what he's doing. Now, we've been looking at so many different things. And like I say, I've been kind of, I've been to Cancun, I've been, I was at Mount Carmel last week. Some of you, you know, you're, you know I, I came and tried to preach a couple of weeks ago, and I was sicker than a dog, and I should have went home. And, uh, you know, so I've been, been, Gary's been preaching, Alan's been preaching. I heard Alan did a fabulous job last week. And I thought, that's great to hear. And I heard that from guests, from a few guests. That's refreshing to hear, okay? I'm not at all uh, bothered with this. I'd like to see more men preaching in this pulpit, okay? And we're putting together a teaching team right now of young men to, to eventually have this pulpit and teach, continue to teach for the next generation. And so, you know, I've been kind of watching, I've been on the sidelines, so I'm a little excited today, okay? So I'll try to hurry. I know you're used to 15, 20 minute stuff. Well, let's get on with it, okay, Ken? Let's not waste, don't waste any time, okay? Today I'm going to talk about how to handle rejection. In a way, we're going to be looking at persecution. Persecution in the book of Acts, specifically Acts 16, we're going to be looking at. The persecution that, that early Christians went through. I don't know about you, but, but guys, one of the things I want you to know is, is, that, is that not only is, there, is, is the, the church or Christians are going to face persecution, they're going to face trials, problems, rejection. So today, this lesson may center on persecution, but I want you to know it also is about going through trials and trouble and hardship and setbacks because you're a Christian, because you follow Christ. And so today I want, to, I want us to focus on that. You know, when you, do, when you do a study in the book of Acts, 28 chapters, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and only two don't mention trouble. It's almost like Taylor Swift has written this book. <laughs> I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, you read, you read the book of Acts, and I challenge you, look at the book of Acts. And every chapter but two, 26 of the 28 chapters talk of trouble. 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 
Two, two other chapters, three, talk about trouble inside the church, but the rest is outside. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I have this idea that church is supposed to be peaceful and quiet. Maybe you have that, you know. I want to go to church where there's no problems. That's a dead church, folks. Because when you read about the early church in the book of Acts, they had trouble all the time. And so this, this goal to have a drama-free congregation, you might as well throw that out. That is not going to happen. Especially if you look around this room. But if you look around the book of Acts, you see lots of trouble, lots of hardship. And a lot of it is coming from the world. You see... When you live a righteous life in Christ, you're going to have some rejection. And when I started perusing through this, let's sort of do a quick scheme of the book of Acts. Here's what I noticed, is that right off the bat, in Acts chapter 2, they're having trouble. These guys are speaking in a language they've never studied. People are hearing their own language and they're hearing the good news about Christ. And you know what someone says? They're drunk. They're drunk. Now, I don't know. I've talked to drunks before. I don't catch them speaking a language they've never studied. They have their very own language. You follow me? I don't hear my own language. I don't know what that means, you know. That's not French. That's not Spanish. That's not Swahili. What is that? And these guys are saying, they're drunk. They can't be drunk because they're speaking a tangible language. And it's good news from God. They're speaking from the Lord. Now, maybe God can speak through a drunk. Maybe he can speak through a drunk. But right off the bat, the church is accused and is downgraded and, and, is, and is ridiculed. And they haven't even gotten off the starting blocks. Well, if the early church is going to go through that at its beginning, why should I not expect it thousands of years later to go through the same thing? In Acts chapter 4, the Sadducees are disturbed because this guy was healed. He'd been an invalid for 40 years. And, and what bothered them was, Peter said, He's going to, this guy was healed by the power of the resurrection. And Sadducees did not believe in the power of the resurrection. And that's sad, you see. Think about it. These people were used to God not working. And Peter heals this guy, or God heals this guy through Peter. <laughs> they have a problem with it. And so they begin to ridicule. They put him in jail. They threaten them. Acts chapter 5, some of them were arrested. And, and, and some of them are going to be, they're, they're trying to figure out a way to, to kill them, to stone them. But they're unable to get it done, so they flog them instead. In chapter 6 and 7 of the book of Acts, you've got Stephen, who's selected as a special son of the church. What an honor. But it isn't very long until he's arrested and then stoned. He's killed for his faith. I don't know about you, but if you were asked to be a ministry leader and a week later you're dead, you might want to second guess that ministry leadership. 
Chapter 8, we know about chapter 8. It starts off with, and, and those that were scattered shared the word wherever they went. The church was scattered in chapter 8. And chapter 9, we all know about God. Do I have to say anything about him? He was rough. But then it becomes a Christian. First accused him all of a sudden of dead in his tracks, you think. And the people that he was persecuting the church with are now trying to kill him, and they have to sneak him out of town. You need to get out of town. You're going to be dead before the morning. Acts chapter 11, the church in Antioch is started. And you know what it says? It's the, who started it? By those that were scattered. Persecution. Acts chapter 12, Herod is arrested. I mean, Herod arrests James and Peter. He kills James, and he knows that he's pretty popular when he does that, so he's planning on killing Peter. But God gets him out of jail, and Herod dies by worms. That's weird. He dies by worms. You got in chapter 13 a guy named Elimus, and he's a sorcerer. And he's given Paul, he's, or he's given Paul and Barnabas a hard time, and Paul turns to him and says, You're blind. And then he's, I mean, he is blind as a bat. But Paul and Barnabas, not only does, does that happen, some Jews in the same town begin to stir the people up against the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And so they're kicked out of the area, kicked out of the region. It'd be like getting kicked off campus or kicked out of school, or kicked out of town. Chapter 14, you've got Jew, Jews that follow along, and they poison the minds of, of people in Iconium, and they're trying to figure out a way to, to get rid of Paul, and they catch up with, up with him in Lystra, in this chapter, and they stone him, and they, they throw the rocks so hard at this guy, they think he's dead. They can't feel a pulse. But somehow Paul comes through it alive. Acts chapter 16, which we're looking at today, Paul and Silas are in prison. There's an earthquake. They're beaten with rods. So you ever watched a, a cop show, or if you're watching the news, you'll see a, a policeman with a baton in his hand, <coughs> like a club. Imagine holding a, several of those and beating somebody and by the way, the Jews used to beat people. They would have, they would count, they would beat somebody beyond 39 lashes, but the Romans had no restriction. They just beat you till they were tired or till you passed out. And that's what happens to Paul and Silas. They're beat up and put in prison in an inner cell where there are no windows. There are no windows. It's dark. In Acts 17, there's a riot in Thessalonica over these Christians. In Acts 18, the Jews oppose, oppose the Christians at Corinth, where Paul is trying to start a church. It gets so bad that Paul shakes the dust off his feet and says, I've had enough. I'm no longer going to share the gospel with my Jewish friends. I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. You guys are just too much of a hassle. In Acts 19, there's a fellow by the name of Demetrius in the city of Ephesus, and he gets stirred up, he gets bothered, and he turns the crowd against Paul, and there's a riot. 
In Acts chapter 20, the Jews follow Paul to Macedonia. They hear him somewhere else, and they follow him there. They get the cry all upset. Another riot ensues. And he says goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. In chapter 21, Paul is arrested. In chapter 22, there's plans to kill Paul. And in chapters 23 through 28, we see him go through a trial and an appeal and keeps going on until he ends up at Rome. And what we learn from history is he is beheaded there. You know, I read the book of Acts, I say, man, look at the church. Look how exciting it is. They love one another. They serve one another. They sacrifice for one another. But you know what I notice also? They're rejected all the time. They're going through trouble all the time. And persecution is mentioned over and over and over again. I often have thought how soft I have it. Have you ever thought about that when you read things like this? How soft we have it. But the Bible promises something, and I don't think it's locked into first century. Look what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul, who was beaten, who was imprisoned, he says to a young preacher named Timothy, he goes, Tim, those who try to live a godly life because they believe in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't know if you're noticing, our society is getting increasingly hostile toward Christianity. And I remember as a teenager and as a, young, as a junior high student being told, <laughs> I was being told that maybe in my lifetime we would see persecution in the United States. And I'll tell you what, church, I think we're going to see it in our lifetime. I think we're going to see it in my lifetime. Because when you try to live a godly life in Christ, the Bible promises that you're going to be persecuted. And how you handle it matters. You know, I got thinking about why is there persecution? Well, obviously, persecution is designed to stop you and I, to discourage you and I, to make us quit. But you know, it's funny, God kind of uses persecution to do something good. I've looked at it this way before. If you guys are most somebody knows judo and somebody big will come at them and what do they do? They use the momentum of their attacker of that aggressor and throw them and, they, and it's almost like God says look you know, I know persecution is going to come and I'm not going to stop it I'm actually going to use it to do some things for good I've got three things I believe God uses persecution for He allows it to happen in your life He allows trouble and problems and setbacks and even persecution. He used them for this reason. The first one is that persecution can reveal something. See, persecution can tell you and I what we're really made of. You know how deep your faith is? You know how real you are about following Christ? Let something tragic happen. Let a problem come before you. And see what it reveals about you. Look what Proverbs says. Solomon said it this way. If you, give up, if you give up when trouble comes, it shows that you're weak. He says, trouble reveals your strength and weaknesses. I think Jesus said something like that one time when he talked about the parable of soils, the parable of sower. He talked about some seed fell among shallow soil. It looked really good, but there was rocks underneath. You couldn't tell. And the plant started growing, but it couldn't get very deep. And because it couldn't, it says it was, it was shallow soil. It says, that when, it says when persecution and trouble comes because of the word, 
they quickly fall away. We've been talking all this year about deepening our roots. Are your roots deeper? If you want to survive trials and trouble and persecution as a believer, you better have your roots deep. Because it will reveal how deep they really are. You find out what people really are made of. You find out the difference between the pillars and the pillows in the church. So persecution will do that. And by the way, the persecution revealed that in the early church. It revealed those that were fake and those of people of faith. And it, and it kind of even cut out those that were fakes. The second thing persecution can do is it can help me grow. It can help you grow. How does Adele say? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right? That's true. That, that's a true statement. And persecution, guys, rejection, trouble, trials, setbacks, whatever you want to call it, these things, they can actually help you grow. I've, I've been, uh, you know, for the last six months, I don't think I've ever had a season, a six-month period, where I've experienced more loss in my life. I can't, I just, I'm trying to think, when's the last time I've experienced this much loss in my life? It starts off in January, my mother-in-law dies, and I love her dearly, and she passes away. And, I, and, and, and so I'm grieving over this. Then I'm watching Bob, my father-in-law, her husband, just upside down. He doesn't know where to start. He doesn't know what to do. And he's making all kinds of crazy decisions right now. I'm watching it disturb and disrupt and tear up Bob and Norma's family. I'm watching what's doing to, to my wife, Denise. Very tough. I... In this six-month period, a friendship I've had for over 30 years is just not going well right now. And, and by the way, I want you to know, guys, God is not happy with division. Nobody's having a ball. You understand me? Nobody's enjoying this. Or just snap out of it and stop it. Guys, it isn't that simple. But I want you to know, I believe we will have this resolved. This will get resolved. By the power of God, it will be resolved. And some of you need to be patient and wait on the Lord to act. Keep praying. Keep praying. But don't make it all about that. Because I'll tell you what, guys, it's been very tough for me, too. And then I lose a friend, a dear friend, Vernon Matthews, just last week. And I want you to know that, you know, uh, by the way, uh, I'm so happy for him. But I sure miss him already. And I'm looking at all these things. And by the way, Vernon helped me so much with his... Passing, he said, Tim, whenever you start feeling bad, you think of Hungry Horse, you think of Silverton, Colorado, you think of Nova Scotia when the brakes went out and Jimmy Buffett saved our lives. What are you talking about, Tim? There's a story there you got to hear. 
Now, I want you to remember Mount Washington, where the wind was blowing so hard it blew, almost blew our feet out from under us. I mean, uh, at Mount Washington, the wind could get as high as 300 miles an hour. 300 miles an hour. And we're on top of this thing. They've got a stone building with huge chains over it so it won't blow off the, the mountain. And we're up there. Dumb. You say, you remember that stuff. And that's helped me so much. You know, Mike just passed away. Sissy's husband has passed away. We're having that funeral. That funeral today is at 2.30, am I right? I believe it's at 2.30. And Gary's doing that funeral. Am I right, Susan? Okay. You know, we've we, just been such loss for me, personally. And yet, I, can, I want you to know, I've had people say this to me, and I, and I believe it's true. They said, Tim, I've never seen you grow so much. Because hardship, persecution, rejection, guys, I don't know, it makes, I think it does something for you. It makes you more committed and more focused on God than when everything's just nice and easy. I don't think you grow lifting marshmallows. You don't grow muscles. And that's where I want it to be. I just want to have, I just want to have a peaceful, quiet church. And the problem is, peaceful, quiet equals cemetery more than New Testament Christianity. Look what the Bible says here. <clears throat> Paul says this. He's, this is the guy that's been flogged. He's been in prison. He's been in all kinds of hardships. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they are good for us. Would you underline that? Good for us? And what he says, he says, three things happen. They help us learn, circle learn. They help us learn to endure. And endurance develops the strength of character. Circle develops. And character strengthens, circle strengthens, our confident expectation of salvation. Look what trials and problems do. They help us grow. They help you grow. I used to think that when you became a Christian, that all your problems were going to go away. I thought that's what was supposed to happen. And you know, I have to admit, some problems do, don't they? I don't have a problem with that anymore. God delivered me from that. I don't have a problem with this anymore. God helped me through that. But you know what, church? God gives us a whole new set of problems. And they're His problems for you and I, like a teacher giving us homework, designed to help us grow. And so rejection and trials and hardships, whatever, whatever you're facing this morning, I want you to know, this is a chance for God to teach you something. What I learned, what I loved about last, uh, yesterday was, is that Lynn Jones said this, and I like Lynn, I like hearing her teach. She said, I should be asking not how to get me out of this thing, but what am I supposed to be learning in this thing? Because that's maturity. So if you come to church, if you come to Christ to get rid of your problems, <laughs> good luck. No, you, 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 if you come to Christ, He's coming. You're coming to Him, so He can help you use those problems to help you grow. See, I'm, I'm convinced persecution and problems keep me from sitting on my blessed assurance and being idle. They drive me like an uncomfortable place in bed to move 
and hopefully move closer to maturity and the likeness of Jesus. That's what they're designed to do. They're designed, I guess, what I've learned in the last six months is I'm praying more. I am determined to rely on God more and not on people. And I'm learning, not only am am I learning to pray more, I'm bringing God's power more into my life. And it happens when we're in over our head. Should we be praying for persecution? Should we be praying for trouble? Yes. And I want to ask you to conjure up every bit of maturity you can. Put on your big boy pants. And ask God, Lord, send me trouble because it helps me grow. He says it's good for me. It's good for you. It's good for us. Number three, persecution can help spread the good news. When you do a study of the early church, you find out that the early church grew more rapidly during persecution than any other time in history. At 313 A.D., in 313 A.D., the persecution was finally lifted by Constantine. And one of the things that happened was the church's growth. First, they found all these Christians, thousands of them coming out of hiding. They thought, we were killing by the thousands. And look at them, they're coming out anywhere. And these were all strong, faith-filled Christians. But what, they, what we've learned from church history is the church dramatically declined in growth after the persecution was lifted. That persecution, rejection, trials, trouble actually helps the gospel spread. Look what Paul said here from a prison cell in Philippi. <coughs> I want you brothers and sisters to know that what has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. Guys, let's get this straight. It's in troubles. It's in problems. It's in trials that we go through. It's in in the persecution and the rejection that we experience that God does His best work. Think about this for a second. When did God do His greatest work? It was on a cross. Rejection. In a tomb, death. And yet we're, you and I are called to do what? Take up our cross, die to self, and follow him. And I want you to know, the gospel spreads. When, if, if, God is, if God would use his son to die on the cross and be buried in a tomb to do his greatest work, would he do that through you and I? If he did it with his own son, would he do it with those that follow him? I think so. So the question, but the, the real question is, will I let him use me like that? You see, following Christ and, and pleasing God may not please you. You know, I, again, I, I say this, this is hard to say to us, but as an American church, you know, we've bought into this culture that church is about making me happy. And it's not about, I'm not saying we should walk around going, oh, Tim says we're supposed to be happy. And some of you are doing that really well without anybody's help, I know. I'm with, I'm with you there too, I do it myself. I'm not saying that. But there's happiness and there's joy. And those are two different things. 
Happiness is about circumstances. Joy is contentment regardless of my circumstances because I know something more is going on than what's going on to me at this moment. Does that make sense? And so I think God calls me to be holy, to be used. So maybe you came to Christ initially to get something. Well, He's given it to you. His amazing grace. He's given you His forgiveness. He's given you salvation. But He doesn't want you just to take and get and get. He wants you to begin to give. He wants you to begin to be used. And He may have to do something that doesn't please you personally in order to please His purpose. He says, what's happened to me is actually... And what's he talking about? He's talking about all the hardship, all the hard stuff, the trials. So how do I... How should I respond when I'm persecuted? How should I respond? And I'm kind of coupled this together. How should I respond when things don't go the way I like? How do I respond when things are bad? How do I respond when things are are a struggle? Well, we see this in Acts 16. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Acts 16. Let's look at Acts 16. And I'll give you a few thoughts and we'll be done. Acts 16, we're going to pick it up. <clears throat> we're going to pick it up in verse 16. And my heading of my Bible says, Paul and Silas in prison. In verse 16 it says, Once when we were going to this place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became troubled and he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. <laughs> At that moment, the Spirit left her. I'm thinking, Paul, what are you doing? You're getting free advertisement. But you understand? A demon has no place in the kingdom of God. God isn't going to use a demon to advertise his son. That same girl who would say something true, if, if, if Paul didn't deal with it, it would have given her enough credibility that when she began to talk about something else, the people would have listened. He had to stop it. Well, people are not happy when it happens because they made a lot of money off this girl. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered that they be stripped and beaten. They were beaten with rods. In other words, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. And by the way, when they fastened their feet in stocks, they didn't, uh, I think of uh, The Hunchback in Notre Dame. Remember that movie? Flying through Remember, he's in the stocks and they're throwing stuff at him, and it's humiliating. But the stocks that these guys in is a little different. They're sitting, and the stocks spread their legs out as far as they can go, and then they're stretched over a log, and, uh, and their hands are also chained this fashion, and they're sitting this way for hours. 
How comfortable. Some of you can't even drive three hours without having to get out and stretch your legs. I'm one of those kinds of people. Can you imagine being like this? After being beaten? That's what's going on. About midnight. It's midnight now. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. What? It's midnight. This service was a little too long. About midnight, it says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I love this. Paul and Silas are praising God so loudly, they can be heard from the inner cell. Everybody can hear them in the prison, in the jail. This morning, our first service, guys, I'm going to tell you, I think they rivaled the singing in here today. It was incredible what I was experiencing. I'm trying to talk to Gary about some stuff, and I, I, I keep getting louder and louder and louder, and I'm going, why do I have this to laugh? Uh, the first service is cranking it up. They're shaking the, 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 the suspended ceiling, they're, they're cranking it up so much. And I went, Gary, I've got to stop wasting time with you. I need to sing. I want to pray. I mean, this is great. Because usually it's not too exciting in the first service, to be honest. You know, and Mickey and Andy do their best to kind of get everybody excited. But I'll tell you what, it was crazy, wasn't it? It was crazy this morning. And these guys are saying, it's midnight. 9.30 in the morning, midnight. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he threw his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Why would he want to do that? Because if you lost a prisoner, you had to take on their punishment. And he's thinking, I'm a dead guy. But Paul started, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights. Rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. He says, What do I do to be saved? You need to believe. If you believe, he says, If you believe in the the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And if your household does that, they'll be saved too. But I love this next statement. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. They told him what it was to believe. It wasn't just to believe in the name of Christ. But they had to describe who Jesus was to this man and what it meant to follow him. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Talk about a turnaround. It's believed that this man was the guy that beat them with rods. And now he's washing their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. Where did he get the idea about being baptized? I think it's when they shared the word with him. <coughs> the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. What a story. And it's in the context of persecution that this man becomes a Christian. It's in, it's in the experience, a bad experience for Christians, that a man is saved. I think we give people the wrong impression, church, to be honest, when we try to avoid trouble in our life. In fact, we, we avoid trouble and trials in our life, and we run from them, and we shirk from them. I don't know if God can work like this. And maybe, if God, maybe God would work like this more often if you and I wouldn't run from the trials and the problems we face. Huh? 
was. Amen? There would, there would be these, these people that would say, you know what, bring on the trouble. Because something tremendous happens. God actually works. So how do I handle when I'm rejected, when I'm persecuted? How do I handle when things are going sour for me and going bad for me because I'm following Christ? First thing is, I refuse to take it personal. Tim, I don't know if I can do that because it's happening to me. I follow you. But why is it happening? You need to ask. Now, some people reject it because they're jerks. You ought to take that personal. But what if it's because of Jesus? What I noticed about these guys is they just don't seem to be taking it so personal. They don't make it about them. They don't feel victimized. They're not pitying themselves. What are they doing at midnight? What would you do at midnight for being beat up? I'd be laying in bed like I was last Sunday. Lord, help me get over this. Why is this happening to me? I didn't drink the water. I brushed my teeth with faucet water. When they say don't drink the water, they mean stay away from it, period. But this guy, this, these guys here, it's midnight, and what are they spending their time doing? They're praying and singing to God. Talk about the day they've had, and they need it with prayer and singing. Their focus is on the Lord. And what are they praying about? What are they singing about? Can we give any idea of what they're praying about? I think we can. Because when you read early in the book of Acts, when believers prayed during persecution, they prayed, God, help us speak with boldness. God, may your will be done. It was like Christ would pray. Not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus didn't make it personal. He made it about a purpose. And guys, you know, when, when, when things are happening to us, what do we tend to do? What do you t- I tell you what I tend to do. I tend to get all, why is this happening to me? Why are they talking like that about me? I've got people talking about, I've got, I got people beating, verbally beating me up, and maybe you do too. You know what we want to do? We want to, how many times does this happen to you? You're having a great day, and then you get a text, and it's critical. Or a phone call, or somebody talks to you, and it just knocks the wind right out from under you. Anybody ever had that to them? Me too. Me too. You know what we want to do? like my old nine-in tractor trying to start. You know, we, just, we get up, we, we feel victimized. We begin to feel sorry for ourselves. These guys didn't do that. Why? They didn't take it so personal. I know this is a hard thing to do, but we've got to learn that trouble and trials and rejection is a part of being a Christian. And I believe these guys were somehow encouraged by the words of Jesus when he said these words in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. What's he saying? Keep this in mind. It isn't about you. You know, a lot of times we'll say, why me? Why is this happening? Why not you? If you're following Christ, you can expect it. I 
I'm preaching to me this morning, church, because I tell you what, I'm a wimp when it comes to this kind of stuff. Jesus says, they will, tr- they will, they will uh, treat you this way because of my name. Not because of your name. Think about this. He's saying, because of my name, Tim, they're treating, this, treating you this way because of Jesus Christ, because of God, not because of Tim Gill. Don't take it so personal, Tim. And then he says, for they do not know the one who sent me. He says, it's really about God, not about you, Tim. How encouraging is that? That Jesus, the Son of God, would say, just remember that, Tim. Remember that, church. When you're going through a tough time, when you're going through ridicule, when your family rejects you, when your friends reject you, when your co-workers reject you, when your children or your parents reject you, when a good friend rejects you, when you're going through something that doesn't make sense, that seems unfair, just remember, it's because of me, not because of you. I find that incredibly encouraging. It says here, here's Peter, who's familiar with persecution and familiar with suffering. It says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. He said, don't think it's so personal. He, Guys, we want it easy, don't we? And Peter says, don't be surprised when suffering comes your way, but rejoice. Why? Because you participate in the sufferings of Christ. You don't suffer alone. It's about Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. You know, you want God is seen and God works in us when we don't make it about us. We make it totally about Him. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory, look at this, the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You want to know if you're really a Christian? You make it about God and not about you when you're disappointed. When you're in pain. If you suffer, it should not be, look at this, that shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. What's that mean? He says, if you're going to suffer, he says, he says, um, it should not be like these people who deserve it. Because you don't deserve it. It's not your fault. He says, instead, he says, don't be ashamed if you suffer as a Christian. Don't be ashamed of it. Embrace it. Let it encourage you. Don't avoid it. Praise God that it's happening because you bear his, his name. It's not about your name. It's about him. Why is this happening to me? Should be replaced with why not? And Lord, have your way. Whatever happens, have your way. Because your glory, glory needs to be seen. Where's the church that's going to show the glory of God? Will we be that church that shows the glory of God and not personal glory? Will we make it about God and not about ourselves? Help us, Lord. Help us be this church. You know, again, don't make it so personal. Don't make it so personal. Oh, I'm the only person that has. You're not the only person that's lost somebody. You're not the only person that's been rejected. You're not the only person that's gone through a trial. 
And after you go through it, somebody else will go through the same thing. So why does God keep repeating these trials and troubles? For His glory in every generation. And so it's an opportunity. I'm going to tell you guys, here you, you want to, here's our personal you want to make it. God wants to use me? Absolutely. Number two, I refuse to harbor resentment. I refuse to harbor resentment. I listened to some, this week, I was talking to someone. And by the way, there's been so many good things that have happened during my six months of loss, and I'll share a few of them with you later. But one of the things I keep running into is I'm angry when I experience loss. Anybody else experience anger when... I, do, I get angry. I get ticked off is the closest thing I can say without getting slapped by some of you here. I get, I get bothered too. You know, the Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. So I think there's times we ought to be angry. And it's okay to be angry. I had somebody say to me, is it okay for me to be mad? I think so. But be careful. Why? Why, Tim? Because it's been my experience that anger and resentment are very close together. And in your anger, you can lose balance and fall into resentment. And then it becomes very personal. And that's where the malice and the bitterness comes from. Think about this. You've been beaten. You've been thrown in jail into the inner cell where there's no windows, no ventilation. You've been put in stocks. So you decide you're going to pray and sing to God. It's midnight. And then an earthquake happens. And it shakes the jail up so much that the gates fall off. They fall open. And, and your chains are broken loose. The stocks are broken loose. You're not harmed by it at all. Well, what do you want to do? Am I right? And they're not a dodge, man. But what happens? These guys are... You know, look at Paul and Silas. You know, it's dark... The jailer, it says he's sleeping. We're <laughs> Who know? He looks, gates fall down. He just knows they've all escaped. And can you imagine, here you are in a cell, you're in an inner cell in the dark, and you see a silhouette of the jailer going, oh, what are you going to do? He grabs his sword and he gets ready to kill himself. Wouldn't you be tempted to go, shh, let him do it. He beat me. He humiliated me. He stretched me up pretty good, a little bit more. I've been in pain. I asked God, you know, to work. He's about to do it. Is that what Paul and Silas are about? Is that what Christians are about? Are we about that? Crush them. I had somebody this week say to me, I'm so mad, I want him, I want him crushed. Is that okay to feel that way? And I said, do you think being malicious is what you ought to be? No. What's Paul and Silas do? They don't hold this against this guy. In fact, as he's getting ready to harm himself, they see their problem not as big as this guy's problem. Do you see that? And they say, stop. Don't harm yourself. We're out of here. 
And the janitor goes, you calls for lights, gets them off. You're all here? And what's he do? The janitor is convicted about his salvation, his relationship with God, because these guys don't harbor resentment against him. They're thinking clear, in other words. You'll never reach anybody if you're a jerk. You'll never help your family, your husband, your wife, your kids, co-workers, students, if you're a jerk. If you're hoping something happens to them. Paul and Silas aren't about getting even. They're not about complaining. By the way, guys, I know this. They don't complain. They pray and praise God. And you know why? If you read this little book called Disciple, Juan Carlos Ortiz, he talks about this a little bit. He says, complaining is the language of the world and not the language of the kingdom of God. Yet how often do we complain? We're saved. We're saved by the grace of God, and we have the gall, I have the gall to complain about, I didn't get the right price on my tires, or my food wasn't right at the restaurant, or something didn't work out the way I wanted. These guys aren't complaining. They had, they had reason to. Then they don't harbor resentment to those at harm. They forget themselves. And that's, what resent, that's how you keep being resentful. You forget you. And you think about others and what they need. And they don't need a jerk, another jerk in their life. Look what Paul said. This is Paul saying this to the Roman church. This is the guy that experienced this, this problem here, this trial, this persecution. Look what he says here. If people persecute you, I can just see him remembering this, this night. If people persecute you because you're a Christian, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. How do I handle, how do I handle persecution, rejection, trials, pain, Whatever, what, what, mind you, from people, from life, I don't take it personal. I don't harbor resentment. And the third thing is I remember that God is with me. <laughs> what? What would we do if God weren't with us? And here in Acts 16, I see two things that I marvel at. I just marvel at church how God shows his presence in Paul's life. I want you to know, when you're going through rejection, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a crisis, it's easy to think that where is God in all this? i got a couple of passages up here on the screen. Look at these passages. David said it this way, My soul is in anguish. How long, Lord? How long? What's he saying? I'm just going through the ringer. How long ago what this happened? And look what he says here in this next psalm. He says it this way. Lord, how long will you watch this happen? And look how what he says. Save my life from their attacks. Save me from these people who are like lions. And that's what we do when we're attacked. We say, how, Lord, why? Why, you know, where are you? And I want you to know, he is with you. If you follow Christ, He is with you. 
If you don't follow Christ, He's not with you. That's too simple, isn't it? But if you're following Christ, you can count on Him being with you. Look at, look, at, look at this passage here. Paul says this in, to the church at Corinth. We have troubles all around us, but we're not defeated. We don't know what to do, but we don't give up the hope of living. I love this. We are persecuted, but, but God does not leave us. Would you underline that? But God does not leave us. Would you remember when you're going through a trial, if you're going through rejection, if you're going through a low time in your life, I want you to know, if you're following Christ, I want you to know God will not leave you. How do you know that, Tim, in this passage in Acts 16? God shows His presence two ways. The first way He shows His presence to, to Paul is through an earthquake. If you remember reading earlier in the book of Acts, in an earlier sermon, we talked about this, that they prayed for boldness, and the place was what? Shaken. It was God saying, I'm here. Now, you think about this. This wasn't no ordinary earthquake. Even though you know God is present. Not only does he shake the jail, but he knocks the chains off and the stalks off. That's unbelievable. Paul and Silas had to go, wow, God is here. We've been praying. We've been praising him. And he is here. When you're doing the will of God, you can count on God is never going to leave you. He will not leave you in the dust. And you know another way he shows that he's always with you? And I praise God for this. I'm glad it's in the book of Acts. Paul has a Silas that's right beside him. I did a study on Paul. I did a study real quick on him trying to find a place where he was alone. When was Paul ever alone? Just him by himself. I'm going to tell you guys what I found. Paul was always with another Christian. Even when he became one, he had a man named Ananias at his side. He had men lowering him in a basket when he was being threatened. He had people like Silas and Barnabas and Trophimus and Tychicus and Timothy and Demas. He had all kinds of people. In fact, he would say, he would have a guy named John Mark that he had a falling out with. This guy knows things work out. This guy knows God works things out when people fall out. they got to bring them together. He says to Timothy, bring John Mark with you. That's the guy you had a falling out with. Oh, I need him here. He's useful to me. And I'm saying to you this, that you don't have to go through anything alone. I think about this week, just this week. I mean, I look at the last six months, but just this week. You know, I know I was sick a couple of weeks ago, and y'all were saying so many encouraging things like, Go home! <laughs> I had to see the pie-eating contest. I was sick as a dog, but I had to see it! I wanted to see how this thing going to work out. And finally, two little girls pour cold water on me. And I took that as a hint. It's time to go. And so, you know, I go home and, and then I start feeling a little bit better. And, and, you know, Vernon passed away that night. This past Wednesday, I come in, I come in to a Take the Plunge coordinators meeting. And by the way, our kids right now are experiencing Take the Plunge. It's a six-week thing for kids. 
It's incredible. They're going to have a lot of fun learning the Word of God. And, and I come in, and Debbie Weiler happens to be in the room. And she's, you know, I'm having a tough day. I'm having a tough day. And Debbie just goes, Hi, Tim, how are you doing? You feeling better? You're not dying, are you? You know, that kind of a thing. She didn't quite say it like that. But I don't know, Debbie, I don't know what it is. You were like a stylist for me for that moment. And, and then, you know, I'm, I, I'm sitting around, I see the coordinators. We've got a campus, campus guy named Devin that's involved in this now. He's working with the kids. I'm sitting around, he's fired up, he's funny. Real funny guy. And I like funny guys, you know. And I'm encouraged by that. I go, I leave there because I have a meeting with Chris Weiler and my brother Danny at Rib City. <coughs> I get there, and God provides a couple of Silas's just there. And we're cutting up, we're looking, talking about stuff. We end up talking about, as we get older, what would we do? How are we going to handle old age? Some people think I'm already there. So... But it was so encouraging. And the next, the next night, Andy and Jim come over to the house, and we go through Acts four, and so what a what an encouraging time we pray together. And I, I mean, it was, it's a great day, great day. What a way to end it. I come to church. I come to church, and many of you, so kind and nice to me. And I know I hope you're kind and nice to each other, too. But you sing. And I'm sitting there going, this is just, this is capital. This is the best. I experience God's presence through you. Uh, Jerry Jones yesterday said something about we need about seven friends. People say we need about seven friends. I've got so many. But do you have a network of people? Are you noticing the Silas around you that's there to above than one? For when fall, one falls, the other can help him up. God wants you to have a Silas. And why? Because He wants you to know. He is with you. He is with you. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. If you want to know, when you're going through stuff, He says He's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous, the righteous face many troubles, but the Lord rescues them from each and every one of them. He doesn't take them away. He rescues you through those. How? He's with you and He walks through those with you. Is He? Is the Lord walking through your trial right now? He wants to. Are you following Him? That's how you can walk with Him. Are you following Him through that trial? And are you letting others in your trial? That's how His presence is there. You do not have to face it alone. And the last thing, when I'm, when I'm facing persecution, rejection, hardship, trials, one of the things I learned from these guys is I keep my focus on God's work 
Paul and Silas are praying. I believe they're praying for, the, for God to work. Not to get them out of things, but for God to work. And you know what happens? God's work is right in front of them. They keep their focus on that. I believe persecution and trouble, guys, whenever I'm just, I get trouble and I find myself getting distracted from what matters and what God wants me to do. And these guys here, it says that they go, the jailer walks up and says, guys, what must I do to be saved? And they, go, they don't say, oh, we don't care about you. We have problems. You know, look at my wounds. They go, let's, let's help you right now. And they share the word of the Lord with him. God, guys, listen, God wants to use his disciples anywhere and at any time. Have you given God permission to do that, to use you anywhere at any time? It's midnight. I know we used to baptize people at midnight. We'd call, we'd call whoever happened, we'd say, the midnight baptizer has struck again with his trusty companion, Baptizo. I'd get a call late at night. Somebody's getting baptized. Midnight? Awesome. Will you let God use you anytime, anywhere? You see, these guys are experiencing rejection, beating, jail time, earthquakes. And what are these guys focused on? They're focused on being used by God. And listen to me. God opened doors here, didn't he? He literally opens doors when you're experiencing something bad. The question will you take advantage of it? Listen to what Jesus said here. People will arrest you and treat you cruelly. They'll judge you in their, in their synagogues and put you in jail and force you to stand before kings and governors because you follow me. And look what he says here. But this will give you an opportunity to tell about me. He says, listen, opposition gives us opportunity. And I want to ask you this morning, are you looking for the opportunities that opposition gives you? Or are you just trying to run from it? God needs a church that isn't distracted by the problems. Guys, you know, I just look at Peter. I think about many of us are like Peter. We're trying, we want to walk on water, but we're, what happens? We're distracted by the waves. And I wonder if Jesus was teaching Peter something else there besides how to walk on water. Was he teaching him? There's going to be a lot of things going to take your attention, Peter. It's going to scare you. But you keep your eyes on me and you will walk in places and do things you've never done before. And I just wonder sometimes our potential as a church, your potential as a follower, it's held back because we focus on the problems and not the purpose. Because God wants to use you and he, he, he will use you while you're going through this problem, he wants to use you. Maybe it's so that the world knows, hey, Christians have problems too. And we're, we set an example of, we don't make it about us. We make it about God's purpose. Let me read this to you and we'll be through. This is Acts 20. Look what Paul says here. But now I must obey the Holy Spirit. He says this to the church, to the elders at Ephesus. And look what he says. I must obey the Holy Spirit and go to Jerusalem. 
I don't know what will happen to me there. I know only that in every city, the Holy Spirit tells me that troubles and even jail wait for me. I don't care about my own life. What you say? I don't care. I'm not going to make it personal. I don't care anymore. The most important thing is that I complete my mission. The work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. What an example. And that's how he felt in that jail. That's how he felt when he was persecuted. And God wants you to feel the same way, church. That when you're going through a trial, most of of us here are going through the ringer. I know that. Some of us are grieving. Some of us are going going through a, a, a real struggle with an addiction. We're going through a real tough time financially. And some of us here, we're getting, we're getting rejected by people. People don't approve of you. People don't accept you because you've taken a stand with the Lord. And let me encourage you, keep following the Lord. following through those open doors He makes through the earthquakes that happen to you. Let Him use these hard things. Follow Him in these hard things. But let Him use these opportunities to reach other people. May God help you complete the mission that God wants you to complete. And truly be an axed man. An axed woman. Let's pray. Holy God. Holy God, I just pray, Father, help us be a, a, a church.